Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, Would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Friday, January 7th, 2011. Put your crash helmets on. It's... Oh, man. Gonna be an interesting program. That's in. Yeah, we're doing that one. Oh, man. Last second changes here. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseboro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment. The goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. And uh, we uh, try to cover a lot of that and use that as a foil for springboarding into an admonition towards sound biblical teaching, uh, reading the Bible in context, understanding the Bible the way the Holy Spirit, understanding the Bible for the message that the Holy Spirit intended to communicate in the text, not the fantasies of your, well, your own little heart, because out of your heart comes all kinds of bad stuff. But uh, anyway, uh, so... Uh, one of those things is just this week has been challenging with uh, the death of Aunt Betsy and you know kind of working through all of that and and at the same time still working at the same time it uh, uh, <laughs> it's like different things are hitting me and and the, the, over and again the uh, you know, well how do I put it when somebody that you love somebody that is close to you somebody that is a member of your family dies. All of a sudden, death becomes a big deal again. It's not just some abstract thing. You are brutally um, in your face, in a, in a way, reminded that uh, we all have a, we all have a, a date with um, with a mortician. We all have uh, ultimately we have a date with a graveyard, and uh, and so the uh, the thing that just you know it's like the, it, I don't know this week is. Spun me in a in a in a way where there's an urgency about what I'm doing, and uh, and at the same time it's there's a frustration because the question is, what can we do? Now you're sitting there going, what do you mean? What can we do? Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you asked. I heard you asking it, so I, I'm I'm glad you asked. Um, because here's here's the idea behind this, and and that is is that, you know, I come to the radio day in and day out and review. Much to the consternation of uh, some of our <laughs> listeners, 
Yeah, I get emails from time to time, people complaining, going, oh, please stop playing those servants. We get it. <laughs> I get it. And <laughs> have mercy on me. <laughs> now, understand this. I know that many of you listeners out there, who especially those who've been with us for, you know, we've been on the air for almost three years, um, that have been with us from the beginning, that that you 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 understand the contours you see the major categories you understand uh you know why i review the sermons that i do and in in some cases some of you all have even said that uh when you hear a pastor say something you can predict with almost 99% uh, accuracy what i'm going to say and it, it's kind of funny when i get those when i get those emails but um, let me. I want to share with you a different kind of email, and I'm not going to play the email update music here because uh, it, I, I'm, I'm thinking out loud. But I received an email from a gal by the name of Michelle, and I'm not going to read all of the email, but um, I've been starting to get more and more of these types of emails, and it's encouraging, and it's got my wheels spinning. Let me, let me see if you can get where I'm going with this. Michelle writes, and she says, I want to thank you for your critiques of the sermons from Elevate Life Church. At first, I was a little put off by your manner, uh, seeming so condescending. But after I listened to two critiques, I was appalled that I could not see the depth of the deception. I have attended Elevate Life Church for several years now and have been leery of the prosperity gospel emphasis as well as some of the other things like when video testimonies are presented and the Elevate Life at Elevate Life Church rather than Christ is given the credit for the change. Um, so I, I want, I've been wanting to change churches for a while and find a church that teaches through books of the Bible rather than picking topics that are supposedly relevant for today, and then cherry-picking verses. Thank you again, um, you know, for what you're doing, and uh, hopefully, I, uh, you know, we'll, I'll be able to change churches. So that that's kind of the gist of the email. I've been getting more and more of these uh, emails lately, I, I, and one that I I gotta find, you know, hopefully I can find it. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was right right around the Christmas, right around uh, you know the end of Advent, beginning of Christmas. Uh, somebody had sent me an email basically saying, you know, listen, Roseboro, I thought you were the biggest nut job on the planet. I, this is kind of a paraphrase, but th- this was the gist of the email. You know, I thought you were a religious fanatic, a, a nut, a wacko, a complete idiot. And and then I started listening to what you were saying, and I realized, holy smokes, the church I'm going to, the pastor isn't preaching God's word to me, and I'm not hearing the truth. <laughs> And as a result of it, I've had to find a church that teaches the Bible. And so, you know, um, that's I'm, I'm getting more and more of these types of emails. So this begs the question, the, the question that, that needs to be, uh, you, know, you know, asked and then answered is what can we, and I notice I'm, I'm using you, the listener, what can we do to help reach out to these folks? It was so funny. Um from time to time, one of the things I do on Twitter is uh, I circle back and, uh, well, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, I enjoy being a spoiler. Uh, let me explain what I mean by that. Is is that Twitter is an interesting medium. And uh, the reason why it's an interesting medium is because for whatever reason, there are certain folks high up in Christian publishing and other places who've decided that they're going to use Twitter as a means of, um, uh, well, promoting their, you know, schlocky uh, products. 
one such product is uh, Stephen Furtick's book, Sun Stand Still. And uh, since, I mean, you know, that thing, you know, hasn't crescendoed yet, there's a lot of folks that sit on the uh, the Twitter hashtag, uh, you know, uh, pound sign uh, sun stand still, that, you know, they, 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 are, they throw out quotes from Stephen Furtick. Stephen Furtick from time to time throws things into the mix. But the thing about Twitter is, is that it's completely open. It's, it, you know, it, Stephen Furtick or somebody positive doesn't have a, a lock on that hashtag. And so... Um, from time to time, and you'll notice this week, I've uh, I've sat on the hashtag and sent out a series of tweets that are really aimed at the folks in the Sun Stand Still uh, crowd to uh, to challenge uh, them to uh, you know that, that basically challenge them in a way that says, "Hey, listen, what Furtick is telling you in that whole Sun Stand Still thing, yeah, it's not what the Bible says." And, uh, you know, basically, you know, be, for lack of a better way of putting it, a cold bucket of water to the face to some of these folks to get them to wake up. So the question comes in, how can we reach out to these folks in a way that's going to be effective? And, uh, you know, one of the ways that I think that may help is you as the listeners of Fighting for the Faith is, is that some of you all listening to this program, you actually know people who go to the uh, churches uh, you know, the, uh, you know that I review the sermons for on this program. You you have friends or family members who go there. Uh, in fact, hang on a second. Let me pull up my Facebook wall. Um, I got somebody on my face. <laughs> oh man, somebody on my Facebook wall uh happens to live in the same town as Tommy Sparger, and um, uh, by the way, Tommy Sparger is he does not like me. Anyway. <laughs> He he has uh, how shall I say? It, listened to some of my reviews of his sermons. Anyways, uh, one gentleman writes. He says, "You know, I reviewed Tommy Spar. Uh, Chris, you reviewed Tommy Sparger, North Point Church, Springfield, Missouri, uh, his Christmas sermon last month. Now I live in Springfield, and we receive bi-monthly mailers from uh, the church advertising the current series. Their latest sermon series is entitled. Now I don't know. I I haven't seen this yet." Okay, this is being reported to me by somebody who lives in Springfield, Missouri. But uh, Tommy Sparger's latest sermon series is entitled The Whoopee Cushion Life. Message titles include Pull My Finger, Silent But Deadly, Blame It on the Other Guy in the Elevator, He Who Smelt It, Dealt It. I am not kidding. (laughs) That, That is... The, the, those are the names of the sermons uh, in the upcoming Whoopi Cushion Life sermon series that's going to be preached at North Point Church in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah, you think I'm going to be reviewing one or two of those uh, sermons? Yeah, I can't figure out which one I want to review more, the silent but deadly or he who smelt it dealt it. <sighs> okay, so this, this com- comes back to the question. Now, all of these seeker-driven guys, they think they're doing the body of Christ a big favor. They think they're being missional. They think they're being attractional. This is how they're doing, supposedly, evangelism. Uh, But over and again, we see when we review the sermons from these guys, um, it can't possibly be evangelism that they're doing because they preach more about themselves than they do Christ, and rarely do we even get gospel nuggets anymore in their preaching, and they radically mangle and twist God's word. And so, um, 
anyway, so the question comes, I come back to the question. What can we do to reach out to these folks? Now, one thing you can do is, those of you who know folks that attend these churches, pass on copies of Fighting for the Faith to them and get and and tell them listen this guy is he's in your face i understand that uh, he he doesn't pull any punches i understand that he sounds really impassioned when he speaks to the point of 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 really uh, you know it, 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 that it could put you off but stop and follow along with the content of what this guy is saying And ask yourself, is your pastor really teaching you God's word? Is he really doing his job? Because here's the deal. I mean, what happens to people after they've stayed in those churches for, you know, so many years? I mean, literally, it's my fear is is that these mega churches are actually inoculating people against Christianity. That if you go to them with the real biblical gospel, you know, Christ and him crucified for our sins, tell them about repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, or as Paul says, what I I received I passed on as of first importance, that Christ was crucified for our sins and was raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures. If you tell them the biblical thing, that what they're going to basically say, listen, I gave Christianity a try, okay? And you guys are, I mean, there is no, there's no substance to Christianity. Christianity is as satisfying as cotton candy. It, it looks big and poofy, but as soon as you, you know, try to put it in your mouth, it, it melts down to nothing. Yeah, that's a problem with this. You know, these, these mega churches are giving us a kind of a cotton candy version of Christianity, but it's not even Christianity. And so my fear is, is that folks are leaving the churches in droves because over and again, studies show that the back door is pretty active in these mega churches, and that the only way they're able to grow is by keeping more people coming in the front door than, than are going out the back door. And once you've been in these churches, you can only handle it for you know maybe two, three years before you're, you're dying of hunger. It's like, I, you know, I feel every time I go to church, I feel my brain shrinking. You know, it, I, it, it's, it's as if there's this big sucking sound and, and my brain cells are dying every time. Yeah, that's what happens to folks. And so what happens is they leave and, and they think that's Christianity. And it's not. I mean, it, it, uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? So one of the reasons I do what I do is, is hopefully so that this message gets out and gets in the hands of people so that I can get the emails like I got from Michelle who go, holy guacamole, you're right. You, you, wow. Okay, I'm not being taught the truth. Right on. You're not. So, but uh, I'd like to kind of kick this open for some discussion. In you know, you think you know, how do we discuss? Email, email. Send me an email or write on my Facebook wall. The question is, how can we, you listeners of Fighting for the Faith, better reach out to these folks? You know. Uh, because what we're what we're dealing with here are uh, you know we're talking about souls at stake, and I mean they're going to church and they're just being deceived. They're being fed a basically a bunch of bovine scatology. <sighs> anyway, so there you have it. That's my question for the day. Uh, yeah, and uh, now we need we we get to talk about what we're going to talk about today, because you know there's all kinds of crazy stuff that we need to address but uh you know uh, let's see here what do i want to handle today well 
well, yeah, come to think of it, tell you what, let me do this real quick because, uh, you know, it's one of our traditions here. Do a little bit of news. From the uh, Christian Post, the headline reads, Generation X Christian Uncovers Why People Leave the Faith. Talking about why people leave the faith. This is by Michelle Vu, a Christian Post reporter. It's been a while since I've read one of her stories. But anyway, uh, her story reads, Research and surveys show that many atheists, agnostics, and spiritual seekers who lack religious affiliation are former Christians. Yeah, uh uh-huh. I bet a lot of them went to megachurches. But there was no research. Uh, there was no research-based book that explained in depth why people were leaving until Generation X Christian. This is the name of the book, Generation X Christian. The recently released book by Drew Dyke, uh, editorial manager of the ministry team at Christianity Today International, breaks down leavers into six categories: postmodern leavers, recoilers, modern leavers. Neo-pagans, rebels, and drifters. Apparently those are the six major categories of people who leave the, who leave the church. These categories were formed by Dyke, uh, after Dyke interviewed nearly 100 people while researching for the book. Now, I'm not a sociologist or statistician, Dyke said, but I knew as a journalist I could bring something to this issue by introducing people to some of the faces and the stories behind the statistics, said Dyke to the Christian Post. And just providing profiles of these what I call leavers, these 20-somethings in early 30s that have walked away from the faith and then provide some kind of tips as how to engage them in meaningful conversations about God that will ultimately lead them back. Now, I, I just got to take issue with the sentence, okay? Now, I understand that um, this book by Drew Dyke, it, it, it's, I appreciate the work that he's done, even though I haven't read it. I mean, I think this is important stuff for people to be looking at. But here's kind of where I'm sitting. We've got a problem, Okay. Uh, Drew wants us to engage people who've left the church in meaningful conversations about God that will ultimately lead them back to church. But here's the question I have. How am I supposed to convince somebody whom I'm having a meaningful conversation with about God to come back to church if their entire church experience was meaningless? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, if what's going on in church is basically meaningless— there's no depth or substance to it. Substance to it. It's banal. It's it's cotton candy. Once you lick it, it just melts and disappears and goes away, and you realize there's no substance at all. Having a meaningful conversation with somebody who's left, with them having the expectation. So, what you, you I'm glad you were having a meaningful conversation with me about God, but the, the church I attended, you know, the seeker-driven, purpose-driven church I attended. I mean, they couldn't have a meaningful discussion about God and the biblical text if their life depended on it. So why should I have a meaningful conversation with somebody if in the back of their mind they think that what I'm trying to do is convince them to go back to a church where everything is meaningless? You understand what I'm saying? Anyway, while much is known about the challenges in reaching a postmodern and modern, think Richard Dawkins, uh, Christopher Hitchens, audience with the gospel, little if anything has been said about the other four categories in Dyke's book. The recoilers are not easily identifiable as a lever category because they tend to avoid talking about their painful childhood or teenage experience with the, with the church that are the primary reasons they left the faith. If pressed to explain why they left the faith, many recoilers will find intellectual reasons to back up their emotional reasons, Dyke writes. Yeah, they would. In fact, I would say some of these folks are like outlaw preachers in emergence. 
Anyway, next, uh, quote, for a a child who suffers some uh, form of sanctified abuse, the resulting spiritual damage can haunt that person for a lifetime, he explains in the book. Such is the case for many recoilers. They often have experienced some form of abuse in the name of God. Yep, I've been talking to more of those folks lately. Uh, Quote, they have become disillusioned with uh, the faith because the people they sanctified uh, let them down. God is guilty by association. The author suggests finding out if a lever is a recoiler by asking uh, questions about their experience with faith, the faith community, but avoiding to put them on the defensive. If someone is a recoiler, then concentrate on listening to the person's story and empathizing with his or her pain. It's important to establish a friendship and earn trust with recoilers. Yes, it is. Dyke writes in to help them to uh, reconcile with God before his people. Right. Now, for neo-pagan levers... The author spotlights Wicca, which is the fastest-growing religion in the United States. Out of all of the categories, Dyke reports that neo-pagan leavers have the strongest emotional reaction to the Christian faith. Although neo-pagans are not as verbally combative, combative as modernist leavers, if they do open up, it's usually a river of molten rage. <laughs> Lovely. And by the way, I should point out this fact, too. Um, Wicca. Um, they, there's more depth to the Wiccan religion than there is to uh, megachurch seeker-driven Christianity. Just, you know, saying, you know, I mean, the reality is, is that megachurches are just insulting to the intelligence of any human being. Anyway, uh, we continue. Wiccans have negative feelings towards Christians because they have been repeatedly portrayed by believers as Satan worshippers and accused of sacrificing animals and rumored to be murderer ba- uh, murdering babies. Uh, Dyke says that the first uh, step in having a meaningful relationship with Wiccans is to diffuse their negative feelings by showing familiarity with their basic beliefs and asking them what attracted them to Wicca and what problems they have with Christianity. Now, notice here, um, <laughs> one of the subtexts of this uh, article is is that Drew Dyke is assuming that uh, all of these people who've left the Christian faith, some of them are heretics flat out, uh, deniers and attackers and stuff like that, that that you can somehow, through a friendship, a meaningful friendship with them, help them and preach the gospel to them at the, with the hope of bringing them back to church. And one of the very things I've been beaten over the head for doing, you know, reaching out to people who I think are misguided, wrong, or flat-out heretics, having a friendship with them in the hopes of preaching the gospel to them, calling them the repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Seems like Drew seems to have the same idea that I have. And great minds, they say, think alike. Anyway, <sighs> okay, let's see. Um, also, neo-pagans are attracted to spirituality, so it's helpful for uh, Christians to not be shy about talking about their own spiritual experience. Drifters, meanwhile, are those Christians whose faith was never that deep to begin with. I wonder why. Maybe it had something to do with the fact that the church they went to, the faith wasn't deep to begin with. It was completely shallow. Just saying. Anyway, and it's hard to uh, pinpoint uh, when they actually left. These drifters, like the name suggests, just gradually drifted away without notice. They went out the back door of Saddleback or Willow Creek. Uh-huh. Uh, they do not argue against Christianity, do not have emotional baggage from the faith. They still identify as Christians, but their life in no way reflects a commitment to Christ. Yeah, probably because the church they went to didn't either. <clears throat> just saying. Anyway, quote, uh, they're, they're the kind who blend in, go with the flow. They were likely swept up in the faith in the first place because it was what everyone else around them was doing. Maybe they got a mailer in the, uh, in their, in their post, in, in their mailbox telling them about the whoopee cushion sermon series. Anyway, then they left for the same reason. They found themselves in a new context where a Christian faith wasn't the norm. 
Dyke writes. The author suggests challenging drifters with the hard demands of the gospel. Yeah, too bad pastors don't do that. And uh, and to emphasize that church hard demands of the gospel. Hang on a second. <laughs> ha ha. Hang on. Um. Whoa. Um. Yeah, just sorry. I detected a major theological error here. See if you can spot it. The author suggests challenging drifters with the hard demands of the gospel. The gospel doesn't have any hard demands. The gospel announces what Christ has done for us. Christ has done all the hard work. Yeah, that's a confusion of categories. To say that the gospel has hard demands, well, it basically is to turn the gospel into the law. Anyway, I think you get the gist of what I'm saying. So, you know, here's the deal. Folks are leaving the church. You know why some folks are leaving? is because Christianity is stupid. What they're hearing in church is meaningless. What's being taught is banal. It's just ridiculous that, you know, and, and so they're drifting out of the Christian faith, and yet I'm supposed to have a meaningful conversation with them in order to bring them back. Bring them back to what? Meaninglessness? <sighs> yeah. So, again, I just ask the question, what can we do? Anyway, I th- those are my thoughts for the moment. We're going to take our first break, and when we come back, oh, boy. Got a couple of things, uh, news stories that we need to uh, cover. One uh, regarding a mortgage scam with um, Bishop Eddie Long that has made the news. And then I want you to hear some of the great predictions for 2011 from the folks over at Extreme Prophetic. Oh, yes, the Patricia King gang. is. It's time for them to speak prophetically about 2011. Praise the Lord. I can't wait to hear what they have to say and to pass it along to you. Now, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter, my name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Think Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hey, you want to feel holier than thou? Try Bible Thirst, holy drinks for people who need gratuitous amounts of piety. With all new flavors like prosperity, instant abundance. It's like adding your bank account to an electrical store. Sound the alarm, you're going to be uncomfortably holy. What's that? You want mana? Well, how about super mana? Made with lightning. Real lightning. Preaching. You'll be good at it. It's a holy drink for men. Clergy. These aren't your pastor's puns. They are righteous puns. 
Piety puns. Sinner, saint, sinner, saint. Prayers, lights, cross lights, power lights, more lights than your body has room for. You'll be so holy, Mother Teresa will be like, slow down. And be like, no! And roundhouse kick her in the face with your Bible pants. You have so much holiness, holiness. Ah. Just praying all the time. Power praying, power preaching, power praising, power fasting, power meditating, power laughing, power spawning, Chester. You have so much Chester. Just like Esau. Give prosperity to babies, they'll be holy too. Make your babies run abnormally fast. They'll be as fast as Elijah. People watch them running and think they're Elijah. They'll race as fast as Elijah. In a race with the actual Elijah. And it'll be a time they get deported back to Israel. Hey, go with the for sure thing. Don't gamble on your afterlife. Jesus. Try Bible tours. The energy that will make you uh, holy. Uh. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Morning. Having a meaningful relationship with somebody who's been to meaningless churches may be a difficult endeavor. Just saying. I need to remind you all, this program, the one you're listening to right now, this is listener-supported radio. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, that's... <laughs> We depend on you. That 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 would be the per- you you the one listening in your car, the one with your fuzzy bunny slippers on. You the one you know sitting there enjoying your adult beverage or commuting into work or listening on the treadmill. You who you we depend on you. If without you, we can't do what we do. <laughs> I feel like a poet. Anyway, the the whole point is is that uh, without your generous support and financial contributions. I couldn't do this program. I couldn't bring the, the I couldn't bring this to you. So if you don't already support fighting for the faith, well then well you need to. <laughs> and the way you do it, visit our website fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you can do so by making a one-time contribution by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable too. Fighting for the Faith, send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 4. 4- 6038. All right, got another video that I would like to share with you that was recently posted at the uh, YouTube account, uh, youtube.com forward slash not your typical Negro. I'm telling you, this guy 
he finds some really good catches. This guy knows what he's doing. And, um, you know, y'all familiar with the Bishop Eddie Long story and, uh, well, the fact that he, um, well, <clears throat> he molested some young men in his church. <clears throat> well, it, it gets better. You know, it, this is just kind of add insult to injury. Apparently, he's, uh, there's people in his congregation there in Atlanta have um, had their homes foreclosed on due to him recommending a, a guy who would help them you know, lower the payments on their uh, mortgages. But uh, here's the uh, video from the uh, YouTube channel, Not Your Typical Negro. I, you really need to check this channel out. Here we go. Atlanta, we uncovered two mega church leaders wrapped up in a risky mortgage venture under investigation by the feds. We first told you about Matrix Capital, a company accused of preying on homeowners who face foreclosure. They paid Matrix but still lost their homes. Tonight, Wendy Salzman reveals how Bishops Eddie Long and Gary Hawkins exposed their congregations to the company's questionable practices. And Wendy asked the tough questions. Matrix Capital frontman Fred Lee claimed he could lower people's mortgages. And there's a reason so many people trusted him, because he made those promises in the sanctity of their local churches. But when some church members found themselves facing foreclosure, they began asking if these mega church leaders got kickbacks to betray their flock and expose their congregation to financial disaster. Hey, where is Eddie Long? Because we'd like to talk to him about why. We'd like to talk to him about why he's holding no. these seminars no. on his... No, property. You have to leave the property. It was here on the camp. Yeah, this is just typical, typical, typical mega church prosperity type of uh, guys. These guys, it's all about the money. I mean, they're serious. When they preach about money and it's all about money, they mean that. And, uh, you know, well, apparently, if they're not getting enough money, you know, coming in in the buckets, that, you know, the offering buckets, plates would be too thin. Uh, well, then they resort to, yeah campus of New Birth Church that we first tracked down a man accused of taking money from financially troubled homeowners. You're not licensed, are you? No, not at all. But hold on, hold on. Stop, 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 stop. On Wednesday nights, this is where Fred Lee convinced New Birth Church members to pay him instead of their mortgages. This is where people started the process that would eventually cost many their homes. Ma'am. Ma'am, you got to leave the property. The case now is being investigated by the DeKalb County Police and the Secret Service. At least a thousand say they paid Lee a minimum of $1,500 to lower their mortgages. Now, how much do you want to bet? You know, because here's the deal. The whole Eddie Long thing with the um, the young men that he <clears throat> um, supposedly um, had sexual relations with, um, that's going to be settled privately out of court. How much do you want to bet the Secret Service isn't going to settle out of court on this? Yeah, just, you know, just... You know, wagering here. Many ended up in bankruptcy and foreclosure. Sir, cut your camera off, please. Bishop Long wouldn't answer our questions, but in a statement claimed they only provided Lee with a room to hold his meetings. But this megachurch pastor, Gary Hawkins, did a lot more than that. I believe that without a shadow of a doubt uh, that this man uh, walks in and good good great integrity uh, bishop hawkins is the face on this matrix capital promotional video prayer alone is not gonna get it done he not only brought fred lee into his church he vouched for the man that would eventually be accused of stealing from his church members i have a remedy but if i say that in the house of god you said you thought he was telling the truth yes you were listening to a seminar in a church true true steve dorsey being in the church 
you know, you have more of a trust. And Sheila Robinson were in this exact seminar at Voices of Faith Church. Listen to that. Did you hear that? Being in a church, you have more of a trust. This goes back to what I'm saying here. People are showing up at churches and they're hearing complete meaninglessness. And because they're at a church, they think that 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 they're trusting that what they're hearing is the word of God. Church. When my bishop told the whole church, it had a lot of credibility. He used his credibility, and that's what I think a lot of people were hanging in on. I know me personally. It was all because of that. Robinson trusted Bishop Hawkins and by proxy, Fred Lee. She paid the $1,500 premium, but later learned she was in trouble with her mortgage company because Atrix Capital never even made a single call to her bank. They're still, you know, luring people in, and it's under false pretenses. Robinson tried to speak with Bishop Hawkins, but he wouldn't answer her questions, and he wouldn't answer our tough questions either. He said he will meet with you, but he can't meet with you on camera. Why not? Police have spoken with Bishop Hawkins, but tell us he was less than forthcoming with records that would have shown if payments were made either to the bishop personally or to the church. In a statement, Bishop Eddie Long said Matrix Capital is no longer holding seminars at New Birth, but we've learned another Matrix executive just continued making those same presentations in Lee's place. I'm Wendy Saltzman, CBS Atlanta News. And when you, uh, when the people who got burned here late leave the church, where do you think? What do you think they're going to be? They're going to be recoilers, postmoderns, moderns. What are they going to be? How do you have a meaningful conversation with somebody who not only was getting you know not meaningless Christianity because it wasn't Christianity, but now they lost their home because the man of God was involved in a, a mortgage scam. What can we do to reach out to these folks? It's so obvious that the people attending these churches are being snowed, absolutely snowed. And what's the reality is is that how people view Christianity, even if you don't attend a church like this, is because it's being now viewed through the filter of these kind of guys. What can we do about this? How can we clean house? These are the questions I'm just asking. I would love your answers. Would love to know what you think we could do here. Anyway. Ah, yes. It's 2011, the beginning of a new year. It's time for the prophetic voices of Patricia King and others on her extreme prophetic channel to chime in to tell us what the burblings of the spirit are happening from within inside of them to give us a crystal ball look into the future of 2011. And so with that in mind, by the way, what's really funny, <laughs> as I was preparing for this segment, no joke, um, you know, I, I surf into the extreme prophetic site uh, regularly. Freudian slip must have happened because when I, when I typed into my web browser the uh, URL... I typed in extremepathetic.com, and then I was surprised that it didn't take me to their site. <laughs> yeah, just, <clears throat> Freudian slip. Anyway, uh, you know, it's 2011 now, and it's time for the folks at Extreme Prophetic to do their annual duty to tell us what the Holy Spirit is telling them. And so I thought I would play for you some of these short little videos from the folks over at Extreme Prophetic 
<sighs> to let you know what the Holy Spirit is revealing for the year 2011. Here is Katie Sousa. Hi, my name is Katie Sousa. I'm with Expected in Ministries, and I have a word for you for 2011. 11 is the number of deliverance. Wow. You know, what's funny is, is that you say it's the number of deliverance, but, you know, I hate to break it to you, Katie, but uh, another regular on the program here, that would be William Tapley, 30 Glue of the Apocalypse. He says 11 is a homosexual number, and, you know. This year, this upcoming year, it's going to be so exciting because people are going to start getting delivered, delivered in their soul, delivered in their body, delivered in their finances. I'm telling you, God wants us to press into his presence. It says that that we... Really, God wants us to press into his presence. Where do I press? Yet normally, you know, when there's a button and it says press here, you know where you're supposed to press. Or, you know, if you're pushing on something, you know that you need to push. How do I press into the presence of God? I mean, literally, I mean, one of the attributes of God that is revealed in his word, that God has revealed about himself, is that he is omnipresent. So where could I go, either on this planet or anywhere in the expanding universe, where could I go where I wouldn't be in the presence of God? will answer nowhere. Everywhere I go, I am in the presence of God. So how do I press into something that's already there? You, you understand what I'm saying? I don't understand the, the, the verb here. We are changed. We are transformed into his image, into his likeness from glory to glory. As you sit in the presence of God, his, his very nature, his very character is released on you. Your soul begins to get changed. And when your soul gets changed, there, a start, you start to have deliverance in every area of your life. You're- really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Th- by the way, Katie Sousa, if you remember, she's the one who was talking about how you have scars in your soul, man. Your finances, your health. Remember what the scripture says, that, that Paul prayed that we would be prospered and be in health even as our soul is prospered. Next year, your soul is going to prosper. Your soul is going to be healed as you sit in the presence of God. As you begin to worship him, I mean, focus worship him. And turning your mind away from everything else that's in your life. All the idols, all the worries, all the offenses, all the unforgiveness, everything else that is not of God, turn your mind away from it in 2011. Yeah, like yeah, your ministry. I should turn away from it because it's not of God. And focus on Him and be transformed into His image, into His likeness from glory to glory. And as your transformation happens, as your soul begins to get healed and, and delivered, uh-huh, you're going to yeah. see a breakthrough. You right. will be prospered and be in health. Yeah, I'm going to have a breakthrough. Now, is that going to be like, you know, something cataclysmically bad, like, you know, if water breaks through a dam? What is all this breakthrough stuff? Even as your soul is prospered, you're going to start to see breakthroughs in, in, in areas of your body that you've been praying and fasting for and that haven't come. You're going to start to see breakthroughs in areas of your finances like you've never had before because your soul is being healed. 2011 is the year of deliverance. I decree. Wow, she's decreeing it. Over you right now, in Jesus' name. I decree for you right now that the glory and the light of Jesus Christ is going to saturate your soul, that you're going to have the, the, the tenacity to worship. Yeah, you can decree it all you want, but uh, if you don't have the authority to decree such things, yeah, it's not going to help.
him, to press into new levels of his presence. And that when you do, you're going to see a transformation happen and deliverance because it's going to happen so accelerated, so rapidly. I just decree it for you right now. Sit in his presence, sit in his glory, sit in his light and be healed and delivered in 2011. Well, uh, that's uh, lovely, isn't it? (laughs) Okay, let's move on to the next one. Here is Bart Hathaway. Hi, everyone. This is Bart with XP. I want to share something that uh, I believe the Lord has laid on my heart. Just uh, uh, in some ways a simple word, but in some ways I think really... uh, So here we go. Apparently God has laid something on his heart. Wouldn't that cause your heart to stop? It's going to be powerful for many of you that are watching. Something that the Lord's been dealing with me about, but I want to talk to you about something I believe that many of you can expect to see come to pass in your life in the next year, in 2011. You know, I shared on a video previously, but just for way of review, the Lord uh, over the last few weeks has had me meditating in the book of Zechariah. And uh, even this morning, uh, I believe the Lord just really directed my uh, my focus into Zechariah chapter 4. In verse 6, it's a very familiar verse, one we all quote a lot. It says, you know, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. But what I believe the Lord highlighted to me uh, this morning, uh, even for you, for many of you, and for... Hey, now notice, uh, <clears throat> he says he's been meditating in the book of Zechariah, He read a particular verse, but uh, see, the verse apparently is the thing that jumped him into the other message. Apparently, the message of the Bible wasn't the thing he was listening for. It was for the other thing. The upcoming year, I want to read, and it's also a familiar verse, but yet I think God's really highlighting this. It's in verse 10, and it says this. Who has despised the day of small of small things? These seven, and that's referring to the seven eyes or the fullness of the Spirit of God. It's- okay, now listen, he's at this moment, <clears throat> you know, he's trying to give you a little context for Zechariah chapter four, verse ten. As as far as it goes, the explanation seems pretty sound. It says these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. You know, the Lord says in this chapter that the, that Zerubbabel had begun the building of the temple of the Lord, and then he made this statement, and he is going to finish it. And- okay, now, so far, so good. Why? Because he's up to this moment, we're sticking with the text. Unfortunately, we're now going to steer the prophetic car into a ditch. And what I believe I heard the Lord say in my spirit, that 2011, for many of you watching... Yeah, you see, you see, you see we, we started in the Bible, and but see, what I feel the Lord was telling me in my spirit is that in 2011, uh, that the birth certificate of, of Barack Obama will surface in Kenya is going to be a year of suddenlies. There's going to be a, a, a sudden breakthrough. There's many of you who have been faithful. You've been laboring. You've been sowing. You've been giving. You've been serving. And you- Yeah, so Zechariah chapter 4 doesn't say anything about suddenlies for you or 2011 or anything like that. Apparently, you know, we, like I said, he, was, he started off so well, and then he just 
took the steering wheel, jammed it hard to the left, jumped a cliff, and ended up in a pond. You know, that's what, what happens. You've been, you've been doing it maybe in obscurity, if you will, and you felt like, God, I'm not getting anywhere. God, this is small. God is saying to you, don't despise small things. Don't despise small beginnings. And he is saying... Be- really, you got that? At, no, he didn't get that out of Zechariah. I'm, apparently, Zechariah was just the... Uh, the thing to make it appear that what he's giving you is from God. Because you've been faithful, he is going to give you a suddenly in the coming year. And I want you to hear this. I want- oh, I can hardly wait to get a suddenly. Will it? Will the color of the suddenly match my Snuggie? I'm going to repeat this again. God says that the fullness of his spirit rejoices in what you're about to complete. You need to understand, if God before you, who <laughs> yeah, can be... No, 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 no. Zechariah 4 says the Lord rejoices in what Zerubbabel was going to complete. <sighs> ...against you. If God's for us, who can be against us? So I want to encourage you, believe God, be on the lookout, expect divine connections, expect breakthrough, expect your suddenly in the coming... Expect your suddenly. Ah, that's right. I've... I've have you has your life been seriously shortchanged by a, a a supreme lack of suddenlies? Well, good news. According to the Holy Spirit, at least Bart Hadaway says the Holy Spirit told him that you can expect some suddenlies this year in 2011. You know, it's been a while since I've had a suddenly, and you know, I kind of miss them. You know, the last suddenly I had was really really cute, and I and I was sad to see him go. But I'm so glad the new suddenly will be coming to me in 2011. ...year because the eyes of the Lord that run to and fro throughout the whole earth are watching over what you've been faithful with, and you're going to see the completion. You're going to see the fullness of all that's in your heart come to pass in 2011. Yeah, sadly, uh, though, in Matthew 15, Christ says that out of the heart comes all kinds of nasty things like adultery, murder, theft, you know, things like that, slander. Okay, yeah, no, we're swinging a miss number two there. Uh, all right, let's try this one. Um, the next video, uh, talking about war in heaven. That's right, yeah, from the Extreme Prophetic website. Apparently, there's going to be war in heaven in 2011. That rhymes. Okay, let's uh, see what this person has this to say. This is Dan from Supernatural Marriage with a word from 2011. Uh, Dan Wilson from Supernatural Marriage. Org. I believe God would say to us in this coming year that we should be reminded from Revelation 12, 7, there was war in heaven. Thanks for the reminder. I, yeah, I'd almost forgotten that. You know, this war is something that is raging, and one of the focal points of this war is marriage. Why am I not shocked that apparently God the Holy Spirit is teaching you about war in the heavenlies as it pertains to supernatural marriage because the name of your ministry is Supernatural Marriage. The type of supernatural marriage that God desires for his people. This is something that Satan just hates because supernatural marriage is filled with relationship. It's filled with love. It's filled with peace. It's filled with joy. It's filled with all the things that Satan has no access to. And so they make him very angry. And he So if you have a supernatural marriage, Satan is seething. I just want to let you know. He reacts to... Sitting over in a cold corner skulking. He just can't stand it. This by attacking what is good, by trying to destroy it with evil. 
When he does this, it's kind of like in the war that we had in Kuwait. You know, Saddam Hussein entered Kuwait and took it over, but a relatively short time later, the United States and other armies marched across Kuwait and ran him out. But you know, as his soldiers left, they lit hundreds, even thousands of oil wells on fire. They left a scorched earth behind them. And that's what Satan is doing right now. He's extremely angry because he knows his end is near. He knows that he cannot stand up to the supernatural realm of God. But the great thing is that we get to participate in destroying the destroyer. Um, hasn't Jesus already done that? Um, kind of would be redundant for me to like, you know, just pile on, you know what I mean? I mean, Jesus, the last time I checked, destroyed Satan via, you know, his death and resurrection. But then maybe I'm just looking at it too narrowly. Let's continue. You know, in marriage, we are empowered with such amazing things, particularly when we are connected spirit to spirit with God, where we enter the realm of supernatural marriage. His righteousness goes before us because we are connected with God through lordship. And in our own selves, we... Yeah, I don't even know what that sentence means. ...received the authority of Christ himself. The authority that God gave him, he has shared with us. And besides that, we have the glory of God behind us as our rear guard. So we are complete. Oh, I'm glad that Jesus has my back. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. you know, that sounds like a, a perfectly appropriate position for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords to be at the rear guard of the army. Yeah, that's right. Jesus is there He's got our six. Completely surrounded and completely filled with the things of God. We are completely equipped to fight this battle. Now, there's a tendency we have to just kind of enjoy what God does for us. Marriage can be wonderful. It can be astounding. And we can sit there and enjoy it and forget that it's not really about us and how much we enjoy it. Marriage is meant to be a weapon, a weapon of great strength and intensity. Uh, well, slow down there, partner. Yeah, I know a few people who have uh, been in mar marriages that, you know, that one of the spouses thought that marriage was a weapon, and they needed to go to counseling for that. To be used in this battle, to destroy the destroyer in the war that will end all wars, we will participate with the authority in us and the power and glory of Jesus in us as we defeat Satan, defeat the kingdom of darkness. Yeah, again, you know, I, I thought Jesus already did all that. Defeat the angels of darkness, the principalities. and the yeah, I, Why do I feel like that's not my job? The powers. Everything that he throws at us will be completely destroyed because of the power and authority in us. H have you ever met William Tapley? Okay, this guy is, this is nuts. All right, moving along, one more. Here's Patricia King. Let's see what she has to say about 2011. I'm sure it's going to be rich. 2011 is going to be an amazing year for those who are in love with Jesus Christ and who have determined to follow him with all of their heart, mind, and strength. 
When you serve the Lord, you can't live in anything but the goodness of God. When he becomes everything to you, then nothing else matters. Real quick, law or gospel? Is she preaching self-righteousness or the righteousness of Christ? Yeah, go with the first one. 11 is marking a brand new season uh, for the body of Christ. And over the next uh, three to five years, it's, it's going to be very critical times. So choose this day whom you're going to serve. Choose this day to serve the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. There are going to be increased shakings in the world around us. But All right, so more shakings. You mean earthquakes? Also an increased invitation to believe for revival and awakening. Yeah, these guys always seem to talk about increased re- invitations for revival. I, what is that? Does that mean that Todd Bentley's coming back to the stage? And I have a word in particular for the United States of America, although I believe this word uh, will fit many nations. The principles will fit every nation. But at this time, the nation of America is being weighed in the balance, and God wants to bring the most powerful revival, the most powerful awakening that this nation has ever known. Well, he's God. He's God. He can bring it if he wants. If the church will pray for this awakening, then we will see a shift in everything where safety, where the established values of the Lord will will be once again laid into the foundations of the land, where protection around the nation will come, where prosperity will uh, flourish in the people's hearts, lives, and ways. It's going to be amazing, and we do have the invitation to pray for it. You know, in Second uh, Chronicles 7, uh, verses 13 and 14, the Lord said that if he would shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, which meant if the consequence of sin brassed over the heavens, and if his people who are called by his name would humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. Yeah, last time I checked, Chronicles was written about Israel during a time of idolatry. Yeah, God was calling them to repent of their idolatry. Then he would hear from heaven, forgive the sin, and heal their land. And so the well-being of the nation does not really depend on who the government leader is. And we, as, as God's people, should not be pointing our fingers at any government leader. We need to be pointing the finger at ourselves. We need to say, what can I do? And we can't point the finger at economic leaders, even though they, they might be making mistakes, right, left, and center. But the well-being of the nation does not depend on them. It depends on the posture the church takes before God. It is absolutely imperative that the church postures itself in prayer, crying out to God, asking God to turn turn the nation around, that we would cry out and position ourselves, not just with lip service, but that we would turn our hearts away from the spirit of the world. Yeah, I feel like I've heard this like a million times. You know, the Bible says that you can't love the world and God too. You know, if you love the world, it says the love of the Father is not in you. We have to determine to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and strength and leave the love for the world aside to separate ourselves because we love him, because he's so amazing, and that we would turn from our wicked ways. There's many things that are going on in the world today that we hate. We know that internet pornography and sex trade is just it's just it's just gone crazy. It's harming so many lives. People are so hungry to have sex that they're selling children 
even so that they can make money in that market. Yeah, they are. And the solution is for the church to repent of its false doctrine and to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Jesus' name, even to the United States of America. Get away from all of this crazy stuff. But <sighs> I mean, here I'm supposed to hear what God is saying for 2011, and, you know, this doesn't sound like anything different than what I was hearing Patricia King say God was saying for 2010. It's just vapid, completely, I mean, no definition, nothing specific, just, well, there's evil in the world. Right, yeah, I knew that. Yeah, glad God cares about it, which, by the way, he does, but, I mean, I don't need you to tell me that, Patricia. I have a Bible and give people what they're looking for in that area of perversion. We hate that. We do. And yet, sometimes as Christians, we're lazy in, in, in what we turn our mind to. We don't discipline our minds enough, and we allow our minds to ponder lustful things. Or Yep, that's right. We do. And what's the solution? Just try harder? We'll commit fornication. What about the forgiveness of sins? Christ and him crucified. You, you ever heard of him? In our mind or adultery in our heart or or just have a little glimpse of a little piece of pornography or watch movies that are full of illicit sex without anything bothering us. We just say, oh, well, that's just the way it is these days. And so we're actually contributing to the spirit that is producing the other stuff. We need to make some decisions. Yeah, I, I, I agree. We need to make some decisions here in 2011. I, I think the decisions we need to make are we're not going to put up with false prophetesses like uh, Patricia King, Katie Sousa, um, that we're not going to put up with uh, false prophets like uh, Rick Joyner of Morningstar, um, Todd Bentley, that uh, we're going to anathematize these people, kick them out of the church, and uh, call them to repent of their heresy. Yeah, I, yeah. I, in fact, I think that uh, your heresies, Patricia, are probably more dangerous to humanity than pornography is. As God's people, to walk with Him in His ways, to turn from our own wicked ways, to humble ourselves before Him, and to pray, to seek His face. You know, not just with lip service and not with just a half-heartedness, but with a full heart unto him. And so if we would position... Yeah, please. I mean, full heart means you won't sin anymore. ...ourself in 2011 with a fervency of faith and in prayer, we will see in and through the body the most amazing awakening that I believe that it could carry through until Jesus comes. There's that possibility if we will position ourselves. So and it's worth we got to position ourselves, and yeah, for what again? I have some promises for those that serve the Lord with all their heart for 2011. Oh, great. Can't wait to hear it. I hope they're specific and not vague like the last thing. In Deuteronomy 1.11, it says, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you a thousandfold more than you are and bless you. So God's going to increase those who are following him a thousandfold more than they currently are being blessed. Okay, cool. Just as he has promised you. We serve a blessing God. He wants to bless you. He yeah, but it's up to you to be blessed. He wants to, but you can't, he can't. His hands are tied. He wants to bless you in all things. And if we follow him, if you will follow him with all of your heart, you will be blessed. Law, law, law. This is all law. If you will. If you will. If you... 
Good luck. Best of luck to you, Patricia. I can guarantee you that uh, you still sin every day, which is probably the reason why Jesus said, and when you pray, say, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Kind of hints at the fact that God expects us and to um, ask for forgiveness every day for the sins that we've committed. And if you've sinned, then, well, then you're not 100% fully committed, then are you? And um, also in Deuteronomy 11.11, 11, you know, we have Deuteronomy 1.11 and De- Deuteronomy 11.11 11 is for 2011. And it says, but the land into which you are about to cross to possess it, a land of hills and valleys, drinks water from the rain of heaven. Verse 12 says, a land for which the Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it. From the- yeah, how much you want to bet that in that passage in Deuteronomy, the land re- being referred to is, you know, the land that, the Holy Land, you know, the land where the Israelites went to dwell after they crossed the Jordan. Just saying. The beginning, even to the end of the year, lay hold of these promises and run hard with God. How am I supposed to lay hold of a promise that was given to Israel while they were in the wilderness before they entered the promised land? Huh? Doesn't make any sense, Patricia. Because it's going to be an amazing year. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. For you and for all. Yeah, I'm looking forward to my thousandfold increase. Who love God. For those who don't, there's going to be further shakings. For those. Yeah, because if you don't love God with all your heart, you're going to get shaken who compromise for those who yeah if you've sinned even once you've compromised you're in you're toast who are sowing into the flesh yeah that's right if you even sin do this once and are sowing into the lust of the flesh there's going to be the consequence of what they're sowing into is yeah no forgiveness of sins just consequence here no mercy of god no shed blood of christ just consequence you got to clean up your act you got to love god 100 percent, fully buy into it and run hard with them and if you, you know, if you slip into something bad, you know, well, sorry, we can't help you. It's going to come upon them very, very strongly in the next few years. You don't want to be there. We need, we need the blood of Christ to cleanse us. Oh, there it is. Finally. Yes. The blood of Christ to cleanse us. That's right, Patricia. That's the gospel. Because the blood of Christ even cleanses us from sins of the flesh. Yeah, even ones that you've committed, I've committed, anybody listening to this program have committed. From all unrighteousness, as we bring our heart before him so that we can have a crop failure of anything that is not of him. And then what? The true seed of the word and of his ways will grow up in our life, producing a harvest of righteousness for his glory. This is what you can expect for 2011. A great year for those who follow the Lord. Yeah, man. I cannot wait till this is out. It's gone. I just, I, 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 I pray for repentance for these people. This is just ridiculous. Again, I ask, how do we reach out to these folks? How can we get through to them? I mean, this isn't Christianity. This is just silliness. You know, here I'm supposed to have meaningful conversations with people about God who think that Christianity is meaningless because of the mega churches they've gone to, because of the Patricia King gang and others. Good night.
I'm going to go floss my brain in preparation for the sermon review, which isn't any better. Um, if you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition <clears throat> or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask me my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, pirate Christian. We'll be right back. If you think God is a black woman named Papa, then you need to get out of the shack and read your Bible. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough. Of this sissy, pansy, turning photo-written music, you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith, sermon review time. You know, my heart breaks for uh, folks that are attending these churches. I actually know somebody who attends this church. And I just am absolutely befuddled as to how to get this person to wake up that this isn't biblical preaching. But let's cue up the sermon review music and dive in. The good, the bad, and the uh, ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's uh, sermon, 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 uh, not sure what it is. Uh, It comes to us via South Hills Church, Corona, California. Pastor Billy Phipps um, presiding. 
He's one of the associate pastors there. And um, this is a sermon about New Year's resolutions. Probably one of the most miserable handlings of God's Word that I have ever heard in my life. And again, I just ask the question, what can we do to reach out to the folks who attend this church and others like it to help wake them up? Maybe one of the things we need to do is, uh, y'all listeners out there, you need to be sending uh, copies of my sermon reviews to the folks that attend churches like this, especially this one. in the hopes that God would wake them up. I I mean, from the uh, Home Alone sermon to the uh, I Prefer the Baby Jesus sermon to uh, this, it's, I mean, these are all samples, but the reality is, is that I don't have enough days in a week to review all of the sermons. I have to kind of pick the best of the worst to share with you again my spiritual gift dumpster diving for jesus let's uh kill the music here so without any further ado here is billy phipps and his sermon notice the question mark on uh well um something to do with um new year's resolutions i yeah this is wow this is not a sermon well i know this isn't the first time you've heard it but happy new year yeah, you guys ready for 2011 or what? Oh my gosh. Well, let me tell you, before we get started, there's a couple of things. Coming up next week, you do not want to miss the brand new series, Dream Again. Take this. Listen to the name of the upcoming sermon series. How much do you want to bet I'm going to end up playing one of these sermons? Yeah, it would be unwise for you to, to wager against me on this. I mean, the, listen, Las Vegas odds. You, you know, they're bad on this. I mean, if you bet against me, you are going to lose your shirt. Anyway, dream again. It's, you know, God, I can't even get this far before I just have to ask some questions. You know, uh, as somebody who's been to many a seeker-driven uh, church conference, uh, many seeker-driven leadership conferences, I've been to New Spring, I've been to Saddle Crack, I've been to Willow Creek. Um, all of that uh, being said, you know, over and again, I hear them say these things that, you know, what your church needs to be is a community of small groups, Okay, great. And so what what happens is is that you come together on a Sunday and we celebrate together because it's a it's absolutely vital that we do this. And my big question is why? Why on earth would this be vital for me to do or for any Christian to do? The standard fare at these seeker-driven churches pretty much is you walk in, you sit down, you're, you open up your bulletin, and you find the fill-in-the-blank notes that you have there, and then the rock concert begins. Everybody stands up, there's arms waved up high, and people are swaying back and forth as they sing pretty much um, erotic love songs to their girlfriend uh, named Jesus. And many of these songs have very few words. You know, they're 7-Eleven songs. 
and 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 that the rock concert lasts what you know 20 25 minutes and you got peppy songs where people are kind of you know standing and kind of doing you know the uh the white person middle class person kind of move you shake your body kind of dance thing and then after that comes announcements one more you know you know some guy cool guy gets up you know with one of those tight fitting shirts and you know to show that he's been working out and doing you know the P90X thing, and uh, and 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 then once that's done, you know there's one more song that, and then it, the pastor comes out and does this. So I just I've got to ask the question: Why is this so vital? Why is this so important? Because the reality is is that quite frankly I could live without this. In fact, I don't even experience this, and I don't feel at all uh, cheated. Uh, you know, I only experience this in part via the sermon reviews that I do, and I haven't, you know, over and again, these guys, I mean, they fail to get out of the biblical gate. I mean, seriously, if these guys were thoroughbred racehorses, you'd stick them into the gate, you know, and then, and, and when the bell went off and the gate flew open, you know, when the race is supposed to begin, you know, when the sermon starts, you know, they, they, they you'd hear the guy, the announcer go, and they're off. And everyone looking down the track and going, you know, because and then you look back and it's like they're asleep inside the inside the stall and not realizing that they have a job to do over and over again. These guys, I mean, they can't preach. I mean, seriously, if you gave this, if you gave these guys a Bible, a map, a flashlight, they couldn't preach their way out of a paper bag. That's how bad it is. And so I just asked the question, why do I need this? Why does anybody need this? You know, and oh, you know, one of the points we'll get to is is that when you you'll hear in this sermon, you know, this guy admonishing people to clean up, you know, sections of their life that are, you know, well, just not working right, you know, thinking you know, of bad habits that they've been, you know, whatever. But, you know, here's the deal. I mean, they chop up the you know the Christian life and you know you got your finances you got your marriage you got your career you got your parenting you got your you know you got all these different areas of your life you're, you know you got your health and your wealth and all that kind of stuff and uh, so my question is is that doesn't a pastor have an extra section to their spiritual life that uh, that the average layperson doesn't and that spirit and that section comes into obeying God regarding what He's revealed His will is for pastors to do. Yeah, so don't those guys have a pastoral life where they're actually supposed to be doing particular things and not engaging in bad habits, hurts, and hang-ups? You know, just, I'm just, sorry, I'm venting, I'm venting. It just, these are logical questions that keep coming to my mind, especially since I know what it is that you're going to experience in uh, in the minutes ahead. Let's continue. This and give it away. This is not for you. Give it to a friend. Now, here's the thing. If you're crazy enough to keep this, then this is what I want you to do. Stick it somewhere where you see it, where you know that it's time to dream again, where it's in front of your face, where you know that you're ready to propel into a brand new year. Stick it in your face. But if you can, give it away. If you want more, there's some out at the, uh, the info booth. But also, we have Rex Crane coming. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be a great time uh, coming up next week. But next week, Saturday night, don't miss Peter Fairley. He's going to be great. He's going to be funny. It's going to be good to hear from him a little bit. Um, so everybody's good. Everybody's ready. Everybody's made New Year's resolutions. No, I haven't. Yeah, here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> Right? I mean, seriously. 
I mean, I, I decided a month ago yeah, no, that no, my... No, seriously, why don't you have a Bible open at this point, Pastor? My New Year's resolution was going to be to uh, lose this uh, bulge in this area here. And so what I did was I just started eating <laughs> and eating and eating. And so I feel like I've kind of fought against myself because I'm constantly hungry now. I'm like starving right now. I'm thinking about breakfast. I feel like I smell bacon. I mean, I don't know what the deal is. But every single one of us, we've, we've decided, okay, we're launching into this new year. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what it is. We've got all kinds of New Year's resolutions. Some of the top New Year's resolutions that people have made, first of all, is to quit smoking. That's like on the number one thing. The second one is... Yeah, I just want everybody to know that I have not made any resolutions this year to quit smoking. Because I don't smoke, but is this to, to quit drinking? Yeah, good. <laughs> good thing to say after New Year's. And then the number three thing is this: to get into shape or to lose weight. That- I'm already in shape. Round is a shape. That's number three. Number four: get your finances in order. Get out of debt. Do something to kind of fix it. How come seeker-driven pastors never make New Year's resolutions to actually properly handle God's word? You know, just a question. Have a bigger, better bank account. And number five is this, to learn something new. Whether it's an instrument, a language, whatever. We have got together and we've, we've decided, okay, this, what are we going to do? We need some New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've made them. Maybe you haven't. You know, there was a study done at Columbia University that says this. 44% of Americans have made New Year's resolutions. So what? What does this have to do with anything in the Bible? Only 44% of Americans. And by the end of January, 45% of those 44 will have lost the battle. <laughs> in Jan- Here's a statistic for you, Pastor. Did you know that 100% of everybody living right now will be dead in 100 years? Well, maybe 120, 130 at the tops. Do you, you get what I'm saying here? This is ridiculous. January. At, and 94% of people never achieve their New Year's resolutions. I, I kind of did a poll. I was just, while we were walking around and talking to people between Christmas and New Year's, I was asking them, you know, have you made New Year's resolutions? Have you not made New Year's? Have you thought about it? You know, and most people I talk to say this. I don't make New Year's resolutions. They don't work. I don't, I can't make, because you know why we say them, we say things like, I want to lose weight, and we're, they're words. You know, some people say, why New Year's resolutions? Why don't we do it throughout the new year? I mean, why don't we do it throughout the whole year and decide, okay, hey, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to change something. I'm going to do something better. Why, why does it have to be New Year's? Why do we have to do it in the New Year's? I'm like, hey, maybe, you know, it's because of fresh start. You know, it's a brand new start, a new year. This guy said to me, yeah, that's funny because so is bankruptcy and divorce, but those aren't always good things. Why does it got to be this New Year's? You know, I talk to a lot of people and they say this, I don't make New Year's resolutions because they're so disappointing. <laughs> I set this thing up. I want to do this brand new thing, but I never do. I'm, I'm so disappointed in myself. You know, every single one of us, you know, and this, this, here's the thing. This message is not about New Year's resolutions. Don't get stuck in the idea of New Year's resolutions. Every single one of us in our lives, somewhere in our lives, we have something that needs to change. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe your, your marriage needs a little bit of improvement. And here's the Maybe it's uh, in the area of actually sermon preparation. You know, just saying.
that's the thing. You can always improve your marriage. You can always improve your preaching, Pastor, and the way you would do that is to actually preach the Word, like God's Word tells you to. I don't care how good your marriage is. I don't care how great you think your relationship is. You can always improve your marriage. And it should always, I don't care. You know, it might be your finances. Maybe you're thinking, you know, I need to get out of debt. I need to, I need to have a bigger bank account. You know, I need to get a little bit more freedom in my money. I need a little bit of freedom in the things that I'm doing. And that's going to come through having a little bit less debt, a little bit more money. Maybe, maybe for you, it's your relationship with God. You should always be trying to get closer to God. Law, law, law. Pastor, um, you know, got, just got a question for you. I mean, are you going to be modeling what it looks like to help these people get closer to God by, you know, opening up the word and properly handling it and correctly preaching it and, you know, teaching it in an expository way where people will actually understand what the text means in context? Is that what you mean? Every single one of us should be trying to do a little bit more. Try. How many of us can really say that we love Jesus more today than we did yesterday? Good. <laughs> That's one person. I'm, one whole person. I don't know if I can. I mean, right? I'm, Probably the typical results at a seeker-driven church. I mean, we keep saying we, we want to get closer to God, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with the whole thing. Yeah, the problem is, is that you, Pastor, aren't doing your job, and neither does Chris Songson. These are all words. <laughs> They're all words. Now listen carefully to this argument. I'm going to apply some apologetic jujitsu on this thing here in a second, but just listen. There are things that we say, and words alone are weak. Words alone are anemic. Words alone really can't produce anything. That being the case, would you please stop saying words? Like now. Yeah, stop saying words. They're anemic. They're powerless. In fact, I think the people at your church would probably have the opportunity to actually draw a lot closer to God without the words coming from the pulpit there. It's your behavior. It's the way that you're behaving. Inside your program, you have an outline. And in that outline, it says breaking the cycle. If we want to do anything, if we want to... No, I agree. The people that attend South Hills Church, they need to break the cycle. They need to get a different church. They need to find a pastor who actually preaches God's Word. By the way, uh, those of you who live in Corona, Lake Elsinore, Temecula, uh, you know, that area... There is a just a little known congregation, you know, that's that's right there in Lake Elsinore, and um, the name of it is First Lutheran. Its name of it is First Lutheran. It's in Lake Elsinore. Pastor Kevin Colander is the pastor there. I mean, you wouldn't. I mean, if I didn't tell you about this place, you wouldn't even know that it exists. Look it up on on Yahoo. Look it up on Google. Uh, you know, do a little search for it there. And if you're looking for a pastor who's not going, well, well let, me, let me put it in a positive. If you're looking for a pastor who's actually going to preach the word and to preach to you Christ and Him crucified for your sins, and to actually rightly handle God's word both in His preaching and His Sunday school class. Got to tell you, Kevin Colander, you've probably never heard of this guy. He's one of the most humble men I've ever met. 
And I got to tell you, you know, if you're looking for a pastor's pastor, this is a guy who actually shepherds his sheep. This is your guy. Yeah, you don't need Chris Songson. You need Kevin Colander. Just saying. To improve areas of our life, if we want to change anything, it's going to come from one way, and that is this, from our behaviors. That first bullet there says this. Systems create behaviors. You've got to be kidding. So your big first point in your, quote, sermon is that systems create behaviors. I'm going to scream. Systems create behavior. What's a system? A system is an approach to getting things done. Like we talked about last week. If you were here last week, I pulled out generations from the audience, and I had them standing all along the, the, the thing here. And what we were doing is we had these cards. And I had a card that, that, of, of an attitude or something that was handed down. Maybe it was kindness. Maybe it was cruelty. And all these things keep getting handed down just like that. Yeah, maybe it's uh, biblical ineptitude. Maybe that's what got passed down. That we have these these systems that we have inherited or we have adopted from our families, and these systems will either launch and propel our life, or they will hold us back. It all- okay, that being the case, uh, <clears throat> Pastor, <clears throat> I really it hurts to say that you're a pastor. That being the case, apparently you don't have a good system in place for preparing sermons. Because your job, according to God's word, is to preach the word. You're not doing it. So you obviously need a better system in place. May I recommend that your system, that you put a system in place. Here's a system that you should put in place. Number one, let's stop uh, with the sermon series thing. Yeah, all that creativity is getting you nowhere. Instead, what you need to do is you need to borrow uh, from the Lutheran Church what's called a biblical lectionary. It's these are predetermined texts, but an Old Testament text, a New Testament epistle text, as well as a, a, a gospel reading that are assigned for each and every Sunday of the year. Okay, so first of all, let's take away your creativity. Your system isn't working. Um, let's get a system in place that does work, okay? Because we, it's all about behavior change. So I, I want to help you out here because in in the sermonizing part of your life, you're just woefully falling short. Um, so you need a lectionary. Number two, you need to, if you haven't already done so, learn the biblical languages. And, and then moving forward, you need to take a class on biblical hermeneutics, probably four or five of them. After that, um, you, you will begin to understand that from a systematic systems point of view, when it comes to proper sermonizing, that what it requires you to do is then at the beginning of each and every week, you sit down with the lectionary texts that are assigned to you by the system, and then you need to translate those from the original languages into English so that you know what's going on in those texts. You then, you then need to probably spend a little bit of time with a commentary or two, making sure that you rightly get what's going on, and then you need to begin to craft a sermon that never leaves the text, ever. Like, any illustrations that you use are designed to help people understand what's going on in the text. And then you need to figure out a way, systematically, to preach the law lawfully, and not just some generic law, 
Oh, we have all sinned. No, 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 no. You need to preach the law in such a way that specific sins are mentioned, that people are specifically called to repent of those sins, and that the solution offered for all of the sinners every week in your church is the forgiveness of sins won by Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. So one way or another, you're going to have to bring in proper elements of the law, You're going to have to preach and proclaim the gospel, not just talk about it. And you're going to have to proclaim what God's Word says and what He intended in each and every one of the assigned texts that are part of the system that you need to put in place in order for you to overcome the bad habits that you are in regarding your sermon prep. So there you go. What do you think? I think it's a fine and dandy idea. You know what's funny is is that I know there's some people listening going, "Well, that's just that's just crazy." I mean, who has time to do that? That's almost that's unreasonable these these demands that you're putting on these pastors. You know, funny thing is is that that's what pastors have been doing for millennia. It's not until these Johnny come lately guys have shown up on the scene who are completely inept in their in their preaching that uh, that's gone out the window. We need to go back to what worked. Yeah, the thing that worked is the system. Assigned text, pastors who know the biblical languages, have studied hermeneutics, and know the proper distinction of law and gospel, and preach and proclaim what the passages teach, and give Christ and him crucified for our sins, regardless of whatever passage they're in. Yeah, just... There's the system. I think that they these guys need to put in place, because, you see... You know, he, here we've got a pastor preaching about, you know, people falling into bad habits. And it's obvious in listening to a sermon that he is, well, he's succumbed to some very, very bad habits. Uh, ones that he needs to make some New Year's resolutions about and to take action and put a system in place to fix. You see, you see what I'm saying? It all comes down to systems because your systems will create your behaviors. And you're thinking, okay, pastor, here we go. Really unspiritual message. What's happening here? Yeah, it's true. It is. I mean, I'm glad that you uh, that you recognize that this is an unspiritual message. There's nothing biblical about this. It shows a com- well. Since you believe that that behaviors are a result of bad systems, it shows that you have a very very poor system in place for sermonizing. This is not the most spiritual message in the world. We're talking about systems. Well, here's the cool thing. In the very beginning of this world, in the very, the very first words, in the very beginning. And now here comes probably the most obtuse handling of Genesis 1 that I have ever heard. Put your crash helmets on. You'll need them. Beginning of the Bible says this. It's on your outline. If you want to turn to Genesis, you can. But it says this. It says, in the beginning, God created In the very beginning of everything, God created. And what does that have to do with New Year's resolutions, sir? Do you think that the reason why God wrote at the very, very beginning of the Bible, in the beginning God created, do you think that the reason why that was put in there is so that you can somehow figure out from that how to overcome your hurts, habits, and hang-ups and uh, help be successful in your New Year's resolutions? He created systems. He created systems. He put planets in the place, which is called the solar 
Right? I mean, he put these systems together. You think about, I mean, here's what I want you to do. If you want to, I mean, read this as homework. Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 4, all about the creation of the... Yeah, he's, he's assigning a biblical text as homework during a sermon. Does anyone think that that's 180 degrees backwards? This is the sermon time at South Hills Church. And the pastor just gave a homework assignment. Apparently, he's too busy. Yeah, so here's your homework assignment. I want you to read Genesis 1, 1 through 2, 1. (laughs) You could do it at home. Don't expect me to actually read the text here and, you know, preach it. (sighs) Where do these people come from? And how is it that thousands of people show up at these churches and find any of this stuff enriching, edifying, or even biblical? the world and all the systems that God created because he put together systems, the solar system. He put together aquatic systems to to bring down rain and bring in rivers and, and refresh water and all this amazing system. Yeah, he put all of these systems in place so that if you would just look at them, you could figure out how to achieve your New Year's resolutions. Systems for water. He created the life system or some people call it the food chain. Thank God for that. I'm a carnivore. Now, you are aware, sir, that if you read Genesis 1, 1 through all of chapter 3, then you would realize that death is a result of our sinfulness. So the food chain as we know it, that's a result of the fall. That's not a blessing. That's part of the curse. I like the beef and the meats and the... Right? But here's the thing. This is what he does. He brings down water so that plants can rise up, right? And these plants, they're eaten by these herbivores. They're these ones that eat just the, the green stuff, right? And then the herbivores feed the carnivores, you know? Yeah, you, you would think that he's doing biblical preaching here, but he ain't. It shows that he's got a bad system in place. And then the carnivores, what happens is they die and they decompose and they help the green stuff grow again. There's a system of life. There's this system that continues to happen. I mean, this guy sounds like he's trying to mimic Chris Songson, which he shouldn't be doing because Chris Songson is completely inept at handling God's word. All God's plan, all the things that God put together. Think about it. And then he creates humans. He creates humans. Check this out. I don't know if you know this or not. Oh, yeah, please just share with us. I'll be happy to check it out, dude. But the adult body is made up of one trillion cells. Wow. How does that help me uh, achieve my New Year's resolutions? Oh, and by the way, where is the big New Year's resolution passages in the Bible again? Yeah, don't you think that because you didn't find any that this uh, that this uh, passage that you're kind of shoehorn into a New Year's resolution sermon? I mean, it's not really a sermon, but that that they, they don't apply. That don't you don't you think the fact that the Bible doesn't talk about New Year's resolutions that that should probably give you a hint that it's not an appropriate topic for you to be preaching on? Six two hundred and six bones, six hundred muscles. I have a few more than those. But on average, <clears throat> 22 internal organs, every square inch of the human body. Think about that. Just look at your skin. Every square inch of your human body has about 19 million skin cells. So 
what? Every hour, a billion cells in the human body must be replaced. The circulatory system, the arteries, it, if you stretch it out, it's about 60 miles long, and it takes... Seriously, it sounds like you spent some time in a Biology 101 textbook when you should have been spending time with a text in the Bible, sir. Obviously, you have a bad system. Only 20 seconds for a red blood cell to circulate the body. 20 seconds. I know this sounds like biology class, but hold on. Did you know that uh, the human brain weighs about three pounds? There are systems that God created. When he created man and woman, he created systems. Think about it. The circulatory system. It carries. Oh, yeah. So now you're going to name all the systems as if that somehow proves your point. Carries the blood. The respiratory system to help us breathe and get air to our lungs. Our immune system system that fights off disease and helps the body to heal the skeletal what system of bones that holds the body together the excretory system the urinary system which you know what that does the muscular system the endocrine system the digestive system the nervous system the reproductive system. God, when he put the whole world together, when he put our bodies together, he created systems. And what happens when one of our human body systems break down? What happens when it starts behaving badly? What happens when our respiratory system starts behaving badly? What do we do? We go to the doctor. We get something fixed because the behavior is not right. It all comes down to the behavior in the system. Whether you like it or not, God created the world and your body to have systems. Your life has systems. My wife and I. And see, because your body has systems, all you have to do is create a system. And and then you can, like, you know, fix all your finances, fix your marriage, and just be happy at your job and everything. See? That's how it all works. Unfortunately, Evil Knievel could not jump the chasm in logic here, but that's okay. I've been married 22 years. <clears throat> it's so funny. I mean, I can get into stories about that. 22 years, but we have two kids, a 19-year-old daughter and a 21-year-old son. When they were young, we had the system down for laundry. I mean, when, you, when your family starts to grow, so does the laundry chores, right? And so we had the system that, that happened. Well, this is the system for laundry. When clothes get dirty, you wash them. Gasp. Wow. That was deep. Profound, dude. It's a good system. It works really well. And so, but here's the thing. When our kids started changing their clothes and doing that by themselves, we decided it's time to change the system because for some reason their clothes come off and then on the floor. So we thought, okay, here's the thing. If you want your clothes washed, we got you this basket. You take your clothes Put them in the basket. And when you put them in the basket, they get washed. New system. Did you find that system in the Bible, dude? Okay, so now my son, he's getting older. He's got these clothes that he likes, and he likes done a certain way. He doesn't want his shirts to get too small. Mom washed a couple of shirts, and they're about two sizes too small. Makes him look muscular, but he doesn't like it. But he's got these, these, this system that he likes. Certain things get hung. And so mom says, okay, 
new system. Now, guess what? You wash your clothes. <laughs> oh, look, an applause line. Wow, how unique. Whether you like it or not, we all have systems. We have systems with our kids for, for chores and for curfew and for punishment, all these different things. When, when you diet, me, when me and my wife diet, we, we, we have this, this system. This is what we like to do. We like to, and it's on your outline. This is it. What gets rewarded gets repeated. We like to. Uh, chapter and verse in the Bible, please, sir. Your your children are are old enough to tell me that uh, you know that you are not a young man. You're probably my age or just a little bit older, which means you should know better than to be doing what you're doing in the pulpit here. This is actually a crime that you're committing. To reward good behaviors, we go all day long trying not to eat bad stuff, so that way at the end of the night we get to have our 100 calorie Jello brand Jello pudding. And if we're really good, we'll put some non-fat whipped cream. Just one little scoop on top. It is fantastic. Another thing I've noticed about seeker-driven pastors, they sure do preach about themselves a lot. Yeah, they sure do. Yeah, he hasn't really been preaching about Jesus, has he? How much do you want to bet Jesus doesn't even get a real honorable mention in this sermon? Hmm. Fantastic. But here's the thing. What gets rewarded gets repeated. If you have a system in your life and you're thinking, why, is it, why am I in this place? Why isn't my marriage where it should be? Why isn't my finances where they should be? Why isn't your preaching what it should be? Why isn't my relationship with God where it should be? Because probably you're rewarding the wrong system. Oh, yeah. See, that's the reason why you sin. Whew, I'm glad you finally figured it out. See, the reason why you sin and disobey God, it's not that you're sinful by nature, dead in trespasses and sins and things like that. <laughs> it's just you've been rewarding the wrong thing. You see, it, obeying God is as simple as rewarding the right thing. Who knew? Think about what happened in Egypt. Pastor Jerry just brought that up a little bit ago. I read a story in the New York Times just yesterday where the government in Iraq has banned toy air guns for children because too many kids are getting hurt. You know, all the violence that's going on, you want to go over to the Middle East and go, listen, stop it. Stop hurting each other. Yeah, those people in the Middle East, they just need a better system. Stop shooting. I mean, they've seen so much violence. Bodies have been everywhere. They just, they know that this is what you do. You have a gun and you shoot. And you go in there and say, stop shooting. But here's the problem. This is the system that they live in. Oh, man. Yeah, you see. Move over, Henry Kissinger. Listen, this guy. This guy has figured out how to bring peace to the Middle East. He's got a system. Yeah, and that new system, that it'll just clear up all of the tension in the Middle East overnight. Once you put the systems in place, well, the, the behavior will change. And you see, it's just, you know, it's just as simple as a system. This is the system in which they were brought up in. If we want to change that, the system has to be changed. We have to change the system. And here's the big thing. Here's the big thing. Next point down there is this. System will always win over desires. And what Bible verse says that again, pastor? 
you can want something really, really bad. You can desire something really, really bad. But unless you change that system, it will not change. The system will always, I've been talking to different people and they've got all their, they've got all their, their New Year's resolutions. I mean, mine is this, 2011, year of health and fitness. Oh, you're so spiritual. Oh man, you are so close to Jesus, dude. If only I can be as sanctified as you. It's going to happen, folks. <laughs> year of health and fitness. I've been talking to other people. A buddy of mine is this. He says this. He says, okay, listen, stop making excuses make things happen. That's his New Year's resolution. Stop making excuses because he makes excuses. For us. His wife says, I wrapped it all up in this. Get her done. <clears throat> I'm like, that's cute, except for it's about five years old. But I mean, we... It, oh yeah, you wouldn't be wanting to say stuff that's five years old. You know, that whole get her done line. Yeah, it's just not relevant anymore. It doesn't matter. I mean, we could come up with this clever, cool, cute mission statements. We can put them up on the wall, but here's the thing. If what's up on the wall doesn't happen down the hall, it doesn't matter. Be- if what's on the wall doesn't happen down the hall, it doesn't matter. That, Yeah, I think I heard that at a business conference once 10 years ago. It's older than get or done. Notice, no open Bible here. The only reference we've had to the Bible so far is kind of a veiled reference to Genesis chapter 1. And then a listing off of all the different systems in your body, including the you know excretory system and the urinary system. Thank you. I needed to remember those on a Sunday. And um, but um, but then there was the homework assignment, you know, for you to read Genesis one. Yeah, because he's too busy listing off you know the different systems, and now giving us business advice. If it, yeah, what happened? Because here's the thing: you have got to be able to work the system on the back of your outline, on the back of your outline. Check it out. All of us, every single one of us have these things called systems and they work. And he's writing this on a board, you know, we work them and they work. And some of these systems that we have We just have them because we've adopted them. We have them because it's just happening within our lives. And some of these systems will leave you in the exact same place you've always been. Because it's so it's not just it's not enough that you get a system to overcome your hurts, habits and hang ups. You might you might have a bad system in place. So you need to constantly be evaluating your system to make sure that your system is well producing the results that you are expecting from your life. Again, where is any of this taught in the Bible? Always what you've done. You won't have anything different until you start doing something different. So write that word in there, that word systems, right in the middle of that line. I mean, seriously, he wants people to take notes on this. Do you really think that 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 you are like on top of Mount Sinai? You know, giving such incredible pearls of wisdom that people need to write these things down so that they can come back to this and review their notes on a weekly basis going, oh, the, oh, that thing that my pastor said. Yeah, you know, that the that the excretory system shows me that I need a system. Oh, yeah, that, that the light came on after he said that. I mean... I mean, this was like hearing the voice of God. And so I'm glad I took notes because... Ne- Woo, without it, I, w- I would have lost those pearls of wisdom. Ugh. 
You have these systems. All of us have these systems that we work. And some of these systems will give us backwards movement. Write that in. So you want to evaluate your system to make sure it's not a system that has backwards movement because that's bad. I don't know where this is taught in the Bible, but it's bad. Is it a sin if you have a backwards moving system? And if you can't figure out how to get a different system in place, if you put a rear view mirror up on those backwards moving systems, would that fix the problem? And some of these systems will give us forward movement. So here's what we have to decide. Which of these systems that we are working with in our life are causing us to move backwards? What behaviors in our... Yeah, because it's, see, it's not your fault that you're sinning. It's, it's just that you have a bad system. Our life that we are just adopting and possibly even addicted to habitually are causing us to move backwards in our life and fall into an old rut and fall into an old way of living. And what systems are beginning to propel us forward. Maybe you don't have systems that are prepare, propelling you forward. Maybe it's time for you to stop and say, okay, listen, what, ask yourself these questions. You want to write them on there? You can. Number one is this. Oh yeah. I, I, Cause I'm hanging on every word you say, dude. Yeah. I got to write these down. Who? I don't want to miss out on this. What behaviors are propelling me backwards? <laughs> What behaviors? For me, it's snacking. (laughs) Snacking, it just so you get fatter. That's the way it goes, right? What behaviors are propelling you backwards? And what behaviors are propelling you forward? I like to put it this way. Some of you have seen this before. Yeah, I like to put it this way. As if your words are the words of God. Yeah, that's just great. Some of you have not. But every single one of us has this life that we want to live. Every single one of us has these thoughts within our mind and say, this is the life. You're right. Ever since I was a young lad, I wanted to be a GQ model. But alas, the fluffy poofiness of my overweight exterior has kept me from living my dream. And, you know, I I know that deep down inside that if only I had the right system, that what would happen is is that I would achieve chiseled body manliness and that women would fawn all over me and that there would be talent scouts giving me their cards saying, oh, we must have you as the cover for this month's edition of Gentleman's Quarterly because you are just the epitome of coolness. Oh, if only I had the right system in place, I, too, could be a GQ model that I want. I want to live this way. I want to be better off in my finances. I want to have a close relationship with God. I want to have a closer relationship with my family. That's the life that I want. You're not going to have that life. That's the life that I want. That's the life that I want. That's kind of like the wrong way to preach, don't you think? The question is, what is the life that God wants for you? Unless you perform. Your performance leads to your life. Man, this is just stark law. Your performance leads. It's all up to you. You got to find the system. 
You got to put it in place and you got to evaluate it to make sure it's not a backwards. It's all up to you, man. Yeah. In other words, yeah. For me, I have to must, I must confess that I will never become a GQ model by grace. I will only become a GQ model by perseverance, endurance, and hard work and keeping of the law. So it's, it's self-righteousness that leads me to the life that I, that I want to live. I'm putting the emphasis on this because that's what this sermon's all about. It's all about the life you want to live and the behavior you have to change and the system you have to put in place. Any mention of Christ at all yet? How you perform in life will lead. Think about, okay, hey, you know what? I want to, you know, in the new year, what I'd like to do is get that new job. I'd like to get that advancement in the job. Unless you perform, you will not have that life. Where does your performance come from? And we talked about it, your behaviors. Now, I, you know, listen, I, on some level, I kind of agree with um, this pastor. Because here's the deal. Unless you, you know, take steps and do something. If you're attending a church that's as banal, vapid, biblically illiterate, complete, asinine, man-focused, self-help pablum, if if that's what you're getting Sunday after Sunday, this is what you'll continue to get until you do the right thing and step out. Leave in a huff. Let the door slam when you leave and go and find a church. How you behave, how you behave will launch you into a brand new performance. Think about kids in school. If they're behaving and they're sitting and they're listening, they have good behavior, what happens to their performance level at school? It goes up, which means what? They're going to get the grades. But if they have a behavior problem, what happens? They're going to have a performance problem and they are not going to get the grades. Where does your behavior come from? It comes from this place called attitude. Oh, yes. (laughs) Where does your behavior come from? Well, it's just because you have bad attitude that you do bad things. (sighs) Yeah, oh, man. Talk about a surface treatment of sin. Yeah, Pastor, if you read your Bible, which you're supposed to be doing and actually preaching too, um, then you'd realize that uh, the reason why we, well, struggle with all the things we struggle with in life is because that, well, we're sinful by nature. Uh, we're born dead in trespasses and sins. We're depraved, and we're fallen. And uh, it's it's not, yeah, your sinful behavior is not just attitude deep. No, it's not, and it's not even just systems deep. You could change your attitude, and you can put the best systems in place, and you will still sin a lot daily. Why? Because by nature, you are dead in trespasses and sins. You have a sinful nature. Yeah, talk, I mean, where is Christ? What would you do with Jesus? I mean, did you hog tie him? Is he in the back of the church somewhere? Are you hiding him behind the drum kit? Your attitude will determine how you behave. You go into a certain idea and think, I want to lose weight, but man, is it going to stink. Man, is this going to, I can't believe I have to do, I don't want to do this. I don't want to have to eat leaves. But listen, if you go into it going, you know, I can't wait to the way that I feel. 
I'm going to feel better. My life is going to be different. Your attitude is going to dictate the way that you behave. Check it out. Where does this come from? Expectations. I know I'm writing a lot, but hold on. I'm going somewhere. Your expectations, if they are met, is going to give you a good attitude. When you have unmet expectations in your life, what happens? Your attitude goes. So where do your expectations come from? It comes from your thoughts and your beliefs. Your thoughts and your belief will determine your expectations. Okay, listen. Think about your life. Think about 2011. Think about the things in your life that you want to change. What I guarantee you, everybody in this room has an area of their life that they would like to change. Think about it. Think about it. Your thoughts, if you can really get a hold of them and say, I need to change this, and allow those thoughts to sink deep within your heart. Oh, man. Matthew chapter 15, verse 10, I read. You know what? I might have to actually read more of this. Hang on a second. If you have your Bible, flip on over to Matthew chapter 15, starting at verse 1. I want to point something out here. Jesus is teaching regarding sin. I want to point something out. The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. Apparently they didn't have a hand-washing system in place, and they had a bad attitude. I continue. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whatever, uh, whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he not, need not honor his father for the sake of your tradition. You have made the word of God void. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Okay, now I'm going to point something out here real quick here. Because of the fact that, what's this pastor's last name? Is it Phipps? Yeah, Pastor Billy here. Because he's preaching from a pulpit, because he's giving the sermon at church, Let me ask you, in some way, does this not create the appearance that what he is preaching is the will of God? Does it not create the appearance that what he is teaching is actually doctrinal and actually biblical? The answer is, yeah, it does. In some very real way, people who show up to this church to hear this kind of stuff are there with the understanding that what they're hearing is God's will for their life. But since he's not teaching the Bible at all, in fact, he's kind of made the Bible void, and it's like the Bible and Jesus are persona non grata, uh, we've got a problem. Because at this point, he's teaching as doctrines things that are really just the commandments of men. The Bible doesn't teach that our 
sinful nature and the things we do wrong in the in our lives and the results and the consequences of the things we do wrong in our in our life are just merely a result of the fact that we've had a bad attitude and have put the wrong system in place. Yeah, that's you see what I'm saying? At this point uh Phipps, Pastor Phipps is um he's teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, the very thing that Jesus blasted the Pharisees for. Now we continue. Jesus then called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This is what defiles a person. Well, then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you, uh, when they heard you saying this? Jesus answered, Every plant that my father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Can you explain to us the parable? He said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled from the excretory system? Just want to let you know that. And what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, that does not defile anyone. So now we've got this issue. Jesus makes it clear that the wellspring of all of our problems really burbles up from within our own hearts. You are your own enemy, and you, by nature, are an enemy of God. And it's the things that you lust after and follow after. Your sinful thoughts, your sinful murderous thoughts, adulterous thoughts, your thefts, your false witness, your slander, these are the things that have defiled you. And it's not, you are not a victim of circumstances or a bad environment. These things all burbled up from within your heart. So here, Billy Phipps is giving us, well, kind of a surface treatment of, you know, how to you know, achieve your New Year's resolutions. But the problem is, is that it doesn't take into consideration any of the biblical truths regarding what our real problem is. And by the way, the solution to this problem is not just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Try harder, put a new system in place, and get a good attitude. Yeah, because even if you could obey God's law perfectly from this day forward, you are still liable to the sins that you've committed. You need a Savior. It's the crucified and risen Lord and His blood on the cross that's the solution to your sinful problem. We continue. It will become a belief. And you will say, now I have this belief that I'm ready. I'm I'm ready to make the change. And here's the thing. Now you need to start setting goals, right? Start setting goals, but make sure that you set them. They're attainable. Don't say, I want to live 30 pounds in four days. It ain't going to happen. You start saying stuff like that, what's going to happen to your attitude? But if you say, you know what? I want to lose two pounds a week. You know what? I'm going to, I'm going to read 
five minutes a day at the Bible. You know what? I, I, and start setting some expectations. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be completely unrealistic for you to set time, you know, with the Bible for more than five minutes. That would be, you know, six minutes. That would be unrealistic. <laughs> that are attainable. Because here's the thing. When you start attaining your expectations, guess what's going to happen to your attitude? Man, I can do this. I can do this. I can make this happen. I can make these changes. And guess what's going to happen to your behavior? You're going to start behaving. You're going to start performing. And then you're going to be able to see within your life the changes that you want to make. You're going to see within your life the changes that you want to make. I mean, I don't even think the will of God is an afterthought here. I don't even think it's, it's even on the radar at all. This is all about you attaining what you want with the assumption that what you want is what God wants for you. But it all comes down to how you think. You know, uh, in your Bibles, if you want to look there, you can. Oh, I, I hope you didn't break a nail, you know, opening up a Bible. One last little scripture I want to read you. One last little. One. You know, as, as we look into, you, you could turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. As we look. Okay, he wants to pull out a single verse out of Isaiah chapter 43. Before we get there, let's spend a little time in the text. Okay? Isaiah chapter 43 is one of these amazing chapters in the book of Isaiah. In the 40s, like 41, 42, 43 through 45, I mean, you have these amazing passages that tell us about the Lord. And, uh, I mean, these are Christological passages in the book of Isaiah, and they are amazing. So let's, just for the sake of argument, let's read Isaiah chapter 43, and I'll start at verse 1. Now, it might take a whole five minutes, but, you know, I don't think it's unrealistic to, you know, to spend that much time in the Bible. Let me read. Here we go. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Siba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right, and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and you are the servant whom I have chosen, 
so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any formed after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declare, and I declared and saved and proclaimed, when there was no strange God among you, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel. I am your King." Thus says the Lord, who makes the way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down, they cannot rise, they are extinguished and quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel." You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burned me with your sins and you have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. I will not remember your sins." Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned, and your mediators transgressed against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary and deliver Jacob to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Now that's Isaiah chapter 43 in context. And when you hear it in context, you realize, oh, this passage is amazing. You have law and gospel, repentance and the forgiveness of sins in this passage, and God proclaiming his mercies and his might and his glory to Israel, right? So that being said, you've heard it in context. You now know what the passage is really about. Let's see what Pastor Phipps does with it. You think he's going to tease out any of those elements that are there in context? No, not at all. Here we go. Look, look back. And, and as you look back at, at 2010, and you, and you look at the year as a whole, maybe if, if you could wrap up the whole year as a whole, you would say, man, 2010 was horrible. <laughs> in the preaching category, yeah, it was for the seeker-driven churches stunk. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, I agree. It, I do. I never want to relive what I relived in 2010. Yeah, especially from the pulpits of the seeker-driven guys. Ever. Horrible, disgusting. Don't Maybe you look back at all of 2010 and you think, it's a pretty good year. 
I got some good advancements. I, I, I got a better savings account. You know, I mean, my, I'm doing better financially than I was doing before. Things are doing better. Yeah, that's how you decide whether you're doing good, huh? if your bank account's improving. Better. Uh, I'm doing great. My family's healthier. My relationships are better. I'm doing pretty good. You look back at 2010, you think, it was a pretty good year. Maybe you look back at 2010, you go, it was frustrating. It doesn't matter if it was frustrating. It doesn't matter if it was great. It doesn't matter if it was bad. It doesn't matter if it stunk or was awesome. Because here's the thing. God was talking to Israel through Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. And he was saying, listen, there are some bad things that happened in your past. And there are good things that has happened in your past. Listen, really, I just read all of Isaiah chapter 43. Is that what was going on in the text? Or did Pastor Phipps, well, fail to do his homework and actually read the text before he decided to cite it? But in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19 says this, but forget all that. Forget all that. It doesn't matter how great. Here's why. Because if your life was great in 2010, you have a, you have an, just a. Oh, that's an abomination. It's just, uh, it's unbelievable. The audacity of this man to lie about God's word this way. I, I mean, seriously, I, I, I don't even have words for it anymore. I, it, it just boggles the mind. Why do these people in this church put up with this nonsense? The thought of, you know what, I'm going to settle into it. Or if it was bad, you think nothing's going to get different. He says, it doesn't matter if it was great. It doesn't matter if it was awful. Forget all of that. That's not what Isaiah 43 says. I just read the whole chapter, pastor. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do. For I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you see it? I will make pathways through the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wastelands. God's so is God saying here he's going to do new things in your New Year's resolutions? Is that what this is about? Not at all, sir. This is about Christ. Saying, listen, it doesn't matter where you've been. I'm about to do something better, new. This text doesn't say that greater, more unbelievable than you ever saw before. Here's the thing. God is ready to do something amazing in your life. Isaiah 43 doesn't say that. The question is, are you? God's ready. God's, God is ready to make amazing changes in your life. But yeah, God's ready, but he's got his hands tied. Yeah, he's up there sitting in heaven. I mean, now I understand that he made the heavens and the earth in six days, and he's all powerful and everything, but see that? Yeah, see that? Here's the problem is, is that when it comes to making a change in your life, God is just totally powerless. Yeah, see, because... You are actually God, and he isn't. This is unbelievable. I'm going to back this up again because I want you to hear this. I mean, talk about just pure manipulation and law. The question is, are you? God's ready. God's, God is ready to make amazing changes in your life. But, but. 
are you? Yeah, see, because without you buying into it, God can't do anything. Because it's going to come back to the systems that you are running. Oh, yeah, because, yeah, sin is all just about systems and attitudes. If you, yeah, see, God, yeah. God can't help you if you have a backwards-moving system in place and you have a bad attitude. He wants to, but, yeah, he's powerless. If you're, you're running systems that are continually propelling you backward, God's like, look, I, I want to do something great. I've got some really cool stuff I want to yeah, do. I, yeah, I, got to, I mean, I've really got some cool stuff I want to do in your life, but I, I just can't do it unless you put a different system in place. I'll sit here on the sideline, and I'll just wait for you. Oh, I hope you pick a good one, because I really want to help you make some changes in your life, but... If you don't have a better attitude and a better system in place, I'm completely powerless to help you. Um, how is God helping in that situation again? Isn't just a matter of me changing my attitude and finding a, a you know, a system that gets the results I'm looking for? When you listen, I created this whole world with systems in place, and listen, these systems are going to help you to become better, greater. I'm ready to do it, but the question comes down to our you. Would you pray with me? Oh, man. God, today. Okay. I, I can't handle it. I just, we're done. I, wow. So I, I, I asked the question, what can we do to reach these people that are attending churches just like this? One recommendation I have for you all is pass along this podcast. When I do these sermon reviews and you know somebody who goes to that church, give it to them and say, you need to listen to this guy. I know he's like a cold bucket of water to your face, but you need that right now. Because w what your pastor's doing, he ain't preaching the word. He's, you, you're being conned in the name of God. I love you and care for you too much to let you go to hell. That's probably where you're heading if you keep listening to preaching like this. Unbelievable. I mean, it, it's just gotten to the point where I'm baffled. I'm absolutely baffled. How is it possible that week after week after week that people can attend a church like this and these churches grow like weeds, which they are, um, and, and these people actually are so snowed that they think they're hearing the word of God. When it, I mean, in reality, it couldn't be farther from that. We've got to reach these people. Your friends who are going to Christian churches are in danger of the fires of hell because they're not hearing Christ and him crucified. They're not hearing sound biblical doctrine. They're not hearing God's word preached. They're hearing utter pablum, the doctrines of men being passed off as if they are the commandments of God when they are anything but. And what gets lost in all of this? Christ. I mean, Pastor Billy preached far more about himself than he did Jesus. Don't you think that's a problem? I don't even think he mentioned Jesus. Don't you think that's a problem? I do.
Need to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you as well as to the world. You can partner with us financially. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 to the ongoing work and mission of what we do here at Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. And of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to partner with us with, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. So what'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. My email address, if you'd like to contact me, is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Actually, it's next week, but amen. Amen.